You're listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast, and I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm really excited to um, share with you episode 70 of the show. And this is going to be a follow-up to last week's episode where I talked all about um, the pros and cons or benefits and challenges of offering supervision in your practice. And today is a follow-up to that. And we're going to be talking about five things to do in order to set up supervision as a service in your private practice. And without further ado, here we go. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. So. If you're interested in providing supervision as a practice, um, as a service in your practice, excuse me, there are a few things that I think are really important to the process. And the first is really about education and training and supervision. Most of us in grad school had to take I don't know, some kind of like a little bit of supervision training in maybe it was like your second year, um, your second year internship course where you get supervision at school and they make you do peer supervision. Um, and you might learn a little bit about supervision, but it's not much. And what I've found is that many folks will come to me and say, well, I started supervision, but there was nothing formal about it with uh, the person that I was working with. And I really believe that there needs to be some formal um, uh, grounding in how the service is provided. And in order to kind of come to that determination, I had to take a training about it myself. That's what really like helped me solidify like, oh, like, yeah, I do have a lot of expertise, wisdom, knowledge to be able to impart to the folks that I'm mentoring and guiding, but I don't exactly know how to provide supervision in the way that it's supposed to be offered, right? It's different than just having a powwow with your colleague about what's going on with a case and providing feedback or suggestions. It goes a lot more than that. And we talked about that last week because we're gatekeepers as a supervisor. We are the gatekeepers for the folks that are entering the field. And that requires that we are not their friend, that, um, that we're their supervisor, that we're um, providing certain types of feedback and we're setting certain expectations for how they're providing treatment. 
And that also means that we're responsible for their actions or lack of action in treatment should it become negligent or harmful. So we want to make sure that you have some training, some education, um, so that you're really able to set your practice up successfully. And part of that education means that you really have a firm understanding of the limitations and and potential liabilities of providing supervision in practice. Um, if you want a really good lesson in how supervision can be challenging, go to any of the um, professional liability insurance companies' websites. Most of them have like a little blog or some kind of resource with literature, and they actually have cases that have gone to litigation as a result of negligence or abuse or, you know, issues that um, were not appropriately addressed in supervision. And it really gives you a good wake up call on, Hey, this is really serious. I need to take it seriously. And I need to have it established and set up in a way that is going to allow me to, um, you know, balance all of that stuff out and make sure that I'm holding the folks that I'm working with accountable and keeping up with all the things that they're doing. So the second thing, that was the first thing, train and educate yourself. The second thing is to create a sound clinical contract for supervision. And um, my contract is a little bit well, maybe it's overboard. I don't know that it's overboard. It's extensive. Let's call it that. It's extensive because I really want to dissuade people who don't take supervision seriously or who are doing it out of an obligation because it's required, um, not because they're you know, choosing to do it, right? I want to eliminate those folks. I really want to supervise people that are passionate and believe that this is important to their professional development and who are going to take it seriously, who are going to show up for their appointments, who are going to be prepared for their appointments and who, who are going to utilize the service for what it's meant to be used for. So by having a very extensive contract, I kind of set the stage and the tone uh, for people and say, yeah, let's talk about it. We can meet and, and I can explain to you a little bit how I work and I'm going to show you, I'm going to send you an email with all of my expectations for what's going to happen in supervision. You're going to be required to sign this contract and, and to attest that you're um, doing a bunch of things in addition to just showing up for supervision. And that tends to um, scare people off, I think, that aren't really ready for that level of commitment. Um, so really being able to know that you have a sound clinical contract for supervision, I think is important because it is basically the equivalent to an informed consent policy, right? When you sit down to meet with clients, you have had them sign and you review 
the informed consent policy to make sure that they actually understand all of the potential risks, the um, expectations, their rights, their responsibilities, all of that stuff. And you want to be able to do the same thing within the supervisory relationship. You really want to frame it out that again, that this is not like two colleagues, just like meeting for 15 minutes to kind of touch base on a case. No, this is an hour that we're going to be meeting. And we are really going to be focusing on these things. These are the expectations. Here are your rights. Here are your responsibilities. Here are mine. Um, you know, here's what it's going to cost. Um, we want something that is going to be really clearly defined. Um, in my contract, I encourage and advise people to one, they need to have their own liability policy. They, in order to in, engage in a supervisory relationship with me, they need to, um, have taken a free training on suicide risk assessment because I think that everybody needs to do that. Uh, so I direct them to the Columbia uh, suicide risk assessment, which if you're not familiar with that, if you just Google Columbia suicide risk assessment, there's a free training on that. And it is an amazing tool uh, that really helps you evaluate suicide risk, but also links with the appropriate ways of responding to a low risk, a moderate risk, a high risk? What are the things that you're going to do in response to that? Well, I want my supervisees to know that information uh, in case that they're dealing with a client who's suicidal. And, you know, we can't really guarantee that when people leave their graduate training program within their internship experiences, that they had to do that. They may not have, they may not have encountered that in the setting that they were in. Um, so you want to make sure that, that those things are covered. And if you have the training and education, you can start to map out all of these things that you want to include in your clinical contract uh, for supervision. The third thing is you really want to decide how many people you're willing to supervise at one time. One of the things we talked about last week was the exponential risk when you are supervising multiple people at the same time, because you're really accepting uh, responsibility for their entire caseloads. And that can be pretty intimidating. And, um, hard to, you know, manage and keep track of and all of those things. So you really want to be aware of how many people you're supervising. And then you also want to decide on, are you going to be offering just individual? Are you going to be offering individual and group? Does your state have requirements or your credential have requirements for what you're required to do? Like, for example, in the state of Florida, since I supervise for both LMHC and I supervise for the ATR, for the LMHC, the laws dictate that we can't meet 
every time for group, that group has to be sandwiched in between individual supervision sessions. So you kind of want to know that, and that would be part of your education is really looking at the legal requirements if you're supervising for a state credential or, or license and looking at the ethical guidelines for, um, you know, if you're supervising for something in addition, like maybe you're supervising for art therapy, what does the art therapy credentials board require for supervision? How many clinical hours per supervisory hour ratio do they require? Um, if you have an additional credential that you also supervise for, you know, that maybe goes beyond, um, one of the expressive arts modalities, maybe it's something like um, brain spotting, right? Or, or EMDR or something. I think in that they call it like clinical consultation, but you still are required to do so many hours of that in order to get certified. But if that's something in addition that you're offering within kind of your supervisory practice, you want to make sure that you have a clear understanding of what those requirements are. And um, so that will also play into how many people you're supervising, because the more uh, complex the requirements are, the more planning and managing and oversight you're going to have to be implementing to make sure that all of your systems are flowing in place, that you, um, that you're keeping up with all of the things, right? So, um, how many people you're going to be supervising and are you going to be doing individual? Are you going to be doing group? Can you do both? I love doing both. Um, I think the folks that I supervise appreciate having the option for group supervision. One, it reduces how much they're paying for supervision, but two, there's something that happens in group supervision where folks kind of go like, oh my gosh, like you're experiencing that too. And they get that validation where they might not get that from the supervisor per se. Um, and then you want to decide, are you going to be providing this via a telehealth platform or are you going to be providing this in person? Um, I also think that that requires you to understand the laws and rules um, or, you know, expectations of the credentialing body in if you're able to do that or not. Like historically, um, in the state of Florida, we were not able to provide group supervision via telehealth, but once the um, laws got adapted and revised in response to COVID protocols when everything shut down, and then they made a change that said, you know, until we convene again, it's been pushed now for some years. So um, I think it's like 2026 or something, they'll decide again, whether or not um, it will stand. But uh, we can do group supervision via telehealth, but historically, where we're not able to do that. And so you just want to make sure you understand what those things are. Um, and that's going to help you decide again, like how many people and how am I going to be offering it? And is it just individual or is it, or can I do group? Um, like for me, I don't have enough people 
in my general locale to really be able to offer group at this time. At one time I did before COVID, I had enough people where we were meeting, um, in person and doing group supervision. But, um, right now uh, my supervisees are a little bit spread. They're still kind of local, but, um, it's just far enough and, and challenging enough in terms of like schedule coordination that wouldn't quite work out. Um, then you want to determine what your rates and fees are. How much are you going to be charging for this service? And I really encourage you to think about this very seriously. Um, some people, when they've taken trainings with myself and my colleague, Amy, um, Amy Strom is a licensed clinical social worker, and she and I developed and teach the 12-hour qualified supervisor course through my practice. And we've been doing that um, for a number of years now. And we talk about this, how there is particularly in the field of social work, um, a, I don't want to say pressure, but um, um, maybe it's like a standard or there's some ethical expectations within the social work ethics codes that you're providing certain services pro bono and, uh, um, or at like a lower rate and things like that. Well, I really encourage you to think about if you take on a supervisee, how many hours you are going to be working with them, right? So for example, if you're like, I will take on a supervisee, the general um, time frame is about two years, but most people actually take more than two years because life happens and, you know, it just takes longer. So you really have to expect that you're probably going to be supervising somebody between two and three years. If you're going to be supervising them from the beginning to when they actually become credentialed or licensed. And that could be anywhere from 100 to 150 hours of supervision. So if you're going to take on somebody for that many hours and you're not going to charge or you're only going to charge a very low fee, you really need to be understanding how that's going to play out in terms of like counter-transferential issues, for example, um, over the course of the relationship. And I'll give you an example of how this might come up. So for, for like, for somebody, maybe you're supervising somebody for their license and, um, like here in the state of Florida, you can take your exam for licensure at any time during the process of um, getting supervision and your test scores are good for five years time. However, I have heard of people putting that off because they are, maybe they're experiencing some anxiety around the test, which happens, right? It's a People don't like tests and it, it brings up, you know, fears um, and, and limiting beliefs around test taking and, uh, you know, professional identity and such. And so I've heard of people like putting this off 
And then the supervisor is still obligated to continue to provide supervision to that person until they're licensed, unless they terminate the contract. But that kind of pushing it off and pushing it off for the supervisor that might bring up some feelings like you're ready to do this. You need to do this because I need to close that space so that I can open that up for, you know, another person that might bring up some stuff that the supervisor has to work through. And not that that's a bad thing or, you know, it's, it's, there's no bad nor good about it. It just is. And it's acknowledging that those things do exist and do come up in the supervisory relationship in the same way that they might, if you are offering pro bono or really low fee services for a therapy client, that when you do that, this is an energetic exchange. Um, and so at some point you may feel like you're giving more energy to the exchange than the other person. And when that happens, that starts to bring up some challenges. And, um, so it's just something to think about when you're making the choice of fee setting for supervision. Here's a word from our sponsor. This week's episode is sponsored by Florida Art Therapy Services, a small group art therapy practice offering telehealth and in-office individual and group therapy services, as well as continuing education and professional development and workshops for therapists. Florida Art Therapy Services has multiple continuing education opportunities coming up in 2022. We'll be offering our signature 12-hour qualified supervisor training for licensed mental health folks in Florida. That would be the LCSW, LMFT, and LMHCs. That'll be offered on May 22nd and 23rd. This course has all the things that you need to be able to get started offering qualified supervision to folks pursuing licensure in Florida. And we make it fun and interactive and break it up with lots of experientials throughout the training. And we're going to also be offering a new course. It's a six hour supervision in art therapy course specifically for art therapists in need of the continuing education hours to provide supervision for colleagues pursuing their ATR. And this will be offered on June 3rd. All these trainings are online via Zoom, so you can take them no matter where you are. And we're also going to be offering the EPICS visual-based career assessment training, which is based on the Holland Codes and was developed by art therapist Karen Anderson Vignon. It's going to be a two and a half hour CE event, and you'll be able to take the assessment and learn how you can use this dynamic tool with clients. And it's going to be taught by Karen herself. If you want to learn more about Epics, uh, check out episode 62 of the podcast, uh, which features a conversation with her and myself all about uh, how she developed the assessment tool and how she's utilizing it to uh, help people find their ideal career. 
And if you're interested in learning more about these or any other continuing education opportunities that Florida Art Therapy Services has to offer, head on over to the website, www.floridaarttherapyservices.com. In the menu bar, you'll just click on continuing education and there'll be a drop down, and you can choose uh, from the variety of trainings that we offer. CEUs provided by Florida Art Therapy Services um, are offered by CE provider number 50-21407 by the Florida Board of Clinical Social Work, Marriage and Family Therapy and Mental Health Counseling, and that expires on March 31st, 2023. And that's one of the clauses that we have to include when we're promoting um, the trainings that we offer. So head on over to the website again, floridaarttherapyservices.com and click on continuing education and you'll find all the continuing ed offerings that we have. Now back to the show. I will tell you that when I first began offering supervision, which was probably over a decade ago, I wanna say, I think, I don't know, it's been a really long time and I start to lose track after um, so many years, but it's been a long time. But when I first started, it was low. But at the time, I was so excited about doing it that it was, it was easy for me to say, yes, I'm going to do this for $35 an hour. And part of it was, I'm new to this. I haven't gotten my sea legs just yet. I still don't I, I, I don't have all of the knowledge and skills to really have the confidence to charge more. That was part of it too, right? So I started off and then as I started to really hone, develop, learn, improve my skills as a supervisor, then I started to really value the service that I was providing and that I could no longer offer supervision at a lower rate and have increased my rates over the years. Um, some people, they decide to choose to go like, well, I'm going to charge what my client facing rate is my client self-pay rate per hour. That's what I'm also going to charge for supervision. Um, if that makes sense to you, that that's cool to do. Mine is not set up that way. I do, um, give supervisees a little bit of uh, wiggle room in that department, but I still feel like it's important to understand the emotional piece of needing to charge what you need um, from that energy place, but also needing to charge from the financial um, aspects of your business, because you're going to be giving up an hour slot or two hour slot, whatever you're doing, um, where you would be seeing a client. So, um, you know, thinking about that piece too is important when you're setting your fee and your rate. And then lastly is how do you market it? How do you market to other upcoming professionals that you're going to be providing and offering supervision to them? 
Um, and there are so many different ways to do this. First and foremost, I think everybody, if you're in practice, must, must, must have a website that is essential. Having a website, you must have it. And then on your website, have a specific page dedicated to supervision. Um, have it outlined there, outline your experience and expertise uh, so that people that are looking for supervision can say like, oh my gosh, yes, I work with, I, I work in substance abuse and I see you have a long history of working um, in that uh, area too. I think that would be a good match for me. Um, or maybe, you know, you have a history of working um, in uh, intensive family therapy settings for uh, families with adoptive children, and you come at it from a very attachment-based approach, right? Being able to really highlight that so that when supervisees are looking for the supervisor, that they can they can see that you have that clinical background knowledge and expertise to be able to provide supervision for that particular area, right? And that's the other thing is you might also discern yourself like, oh, I don't think I would be a good supervisor for this person because they're working with a population that I have absolutely zero experience working with. And I think they might be better off working with somebody else, right? That we can, we can do that too. But by highlighting on your website, what, um, what you can do as a supervisor, what your experiences have been that can help the potential supervisee see that you're, um, you're the person for them. You're the person to work with them. Um, you can promote it on your social media, promote it on your LinkedIn profile. Um, you can uh, make sure that you're really utilizing your credentials to say like, here's the credential that you know, gives me the ability to provide you with uh, qualified supervision. And then in addition to having it on your website, if you're on something like Psychology Today or another therapist listing place, you could certainly put it there, um, making sure that you're networking with your colleagues and letting them know that you're providing supervision now, um, that would be you know, a way to market and let people uh, know. Once you start providing supervision, I think um, just like when you've been in practice a long time, you get that those word of mouth referrals, um, the same thing starts to happen, right? You supervise people and they refer people to you um, for supervision, which is really great, right? You're like, okay, I, I have my former supervisees who are now referring other people in for supervision, which is fabulous. Um, so really figuring out your marketing plan is that's how you get people to, um, sign up. If you're in private practice, if you're in a, a community agency or something, obviously they're looking for people to be able to provide supervision as, um, a benefit to 
their new, um, you know, employees or their employees working towards credentialing and licensure. So that wouldn't be an issue, but if you're doing it in private practice, you need to be able to market. And the other thing that you could do is making sure that you're listed on your, um, national, uh, credential bodied organizations website, any kind of listings and offerings that they provide. Um, and then for me, one of the things that I think has helped over the years is publishing on the topic of supervision, um, teaching on the topic of supervision, um, you know, really highlighting that this is an important part of what I do has helped me um, stand out to potential supervisees, again, that are really committed to the process, right? Like I said earlier, I don't want somebody who just, they, they don't really want to be in supervision or they don't think they need to be in supervision. I want somebody who's really committed to their growth and development and really willing to dive deep into the supervisory process and take it seriously and really develop um, as a clinician. So I want to stand out to those people. So offering um, something in addition, right, having that expertise really, really just, I think, sets, sets you apart. Um, so the five things in recap, if you want to set up supervision as a service that you offer in your practice, which if you're planning to do supervision, I think it's great. And I, like, it helps me so much that balance between client facing work, um, like therapy, client facing work and supervision, client facing work. It's a different energy. It's a different skill set. even though there's like a lot of skill transfer, um, it just, it just like helps with, um, my energy overall for the week, having that peppered in between clients. Um, so the, the recap, the five things train and educate yourself on the topic. If you're looking for some additional information on, um, supervision, I interviewed Daniel Blousey and Yasmin Awais, um, earlier in 2021, it's the voices from the summit series, 2021 episode 13. And that is the creative clinicians corner.com forward slash episode V F T S one three. And they talk all about supervision and they actually wrote a really wonderful book on the topic of supervision, uh, theories and foundations and applications of art therapy supervision. It's a great book. Um, so you can check that out, but you could also, um, you know, take a training. Like we're offering a training, um, six hour training for art therapists coming up. Uh, we offer a 12 hour for folks pursuing licensure. That's really specific to the state of Florida. So um, not so much as it's not as interesting um, as the art therapy supervision course is going to be. And um, so you want to train and educate. You want to develop a sound 
clinical contract for your supervisory practice, you want to figure out how many people you're going to be supervising and what type of supervision or types of supervision you're going to be offering, whether that's individual group and how you're going to be offering it. Are you doing it in person? Are you doing it um, online? Are you going to be doing telehealth? And if you're doing telehealth, what kind of HIPAA platform, you know, are you going to be integrating for that? Because there's a lot of platforms that will allow you to do individual telehealth, but not necessarily group. That's a completely different thing. Um, so figuring out a platform that's going to work for you in that regard, then you want to figure out how are you going to set a fee and establish a rate that really connects with both what you're energetic exchanges, right? How much um, value you're offering, but also meeting the needs of your business from the financial aspect of things, right? Making sure that you're charging enough that, that you're going to be covering your bills of what you need to be bringing in each week. And then lastly, how are you going to market it? What are the ways that you are going to let potential supervisees know that you're offering this service and why you are the expert that they want to engage in supervision with? Um, so those are, I think, the top five things uh, that you need to do to set up supervision as a service in your practice. I hope you find them helpful. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or any episode of uh, the podcast, please send me an email, creativeclinician at gmail.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions. And of course, if you're interested in adding supervision to the work that you do and you are in need of a training, definitely check out the continuing education opportunities that we offer at my practice, Florida Art Therapy Services. And you can do that by heading to www.floridaarttherapyservices.com forward slash continuing dash education, or you can just click on continuing education on the menu bar, and then you'll see a drop down list of all the different continuing ed opportunities that we offer through the practice. All right, everybody have a great rest of your week, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.